So um, we'll, we'll get underway. I'm just waiting for Rochelle to hand out all uh, this image and just some notes. Um, just want to encourage, if you weren't here this morning, just to go and have a listen uh, to the message again. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's quite easy just to, and I think part of tradition inside the church is just to hear messages, get excited about them for about five minutes, and then life continues. Um, and yet our hope and our goal here is every weekend to be speaking the utterance of God. So it's not just, oh, yeah, I need a message for Sunday and I'm going to figure out what I'm going to speak on. The people who speak take the time and go to that place with him to hear what is the word, the living word that he wants communicated. And I'm just going to read. Uh, this is not in your notes, but I just want to read you a passage of Scripture because, you know, the Thessalonian church was quite a special church. Special, not because they were any different, but they were people that heard the word in a kind of way. And we are to hear, have the ability to hear not just any word, or not just any words, but the word that if received by faith, would actually perform its work in the church, which is not a building, but in us. Because the goal is for you and I to be different, isn't it? So how are we going to be different? What is the source that God has given us for our change? It's himself, which is his word. But not his words, his word. Because as we've been talking about, people search the scriptures because they thought that in the scriptures, in the words, they would find eternal life. But Jesus said, those words speak about me, for I am eternal life. And so, you know, when you stop and think that the word of God created everything. God spoke, and where there was nothing, there was something. So is this the word, one that is being communicated? That's the challenge for everyone who's speaking the utterances is to have a living word. Not just, as I've said, oh, man, I need to speak on something, so I think I'll just have a quick read and plug something out of the words. And then the receiver responsibility or the receiver's responsibility is to be able to hear the word that has been communicated in the spirit, which is the challenge when we're all fleshly beings, but we have been baptized in the spirit, born again to live from a completely different place now, not the place that we were because God is bringing us into his resurrected life, which is a brand new life. It's not, as we've said, the old life just modified. So the way in which you would learn in the world is completely different to how you learn in the kingdom. If you're trying to learn as if learning mathematics and you take that approach to studying something and you take that approach into his kingdom, you won't know him one bit. See, that's the part of us that needs to die, and that's what the cross comes to do. The cross comes to kill the operating system of man. And Paul said this. He said, you know, I studied under Gamaliel. According to my former manner of life, I studied under the system of man. And my name is Saul, and I am a persecutor of the church. But then on the road to Damascus, I had an encounter with the one I thought I knew, 
and he completely spun me around. And he says, I did not receive the gospel through man. I didn't receive it. I've, I've had that. See, now Paul is getting a reference point for what he had and what he's about to get. See, there's a reference point you can reference between the old way of trying to study and what it does. And now he's bringing me, he's receiving. The Bible says he received revelation through Jesus Christ. So this new message is now received through the power of revelation, no longer taught. According to my former manner of life in which I operated, I was this, a Hebrew, a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was a persecutor of the church. Now he realizes that was all but rubbish compared to the true knowing of the one who I came into that through his operating system. Is that making sense? And this is the challenge for us because we try and understand God through our ways of our old, wondering why we don't. Wondering why we're not in life because if we try to enter into life through our old ways, you just go round and round the mountain, getting very frustrated while other people are eating. This is good. And so there are things that need to break. And so listen to what this says in 1 Thessalonians 2. For this reason, we also constantly thank God this is Paul. He's thanking God that when you, so a portion, maybe the whole, I don't know, but this Thessalonica church, when you, uh, thank God, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is. The word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus. See, when we receive living manna, we become imitators of the real thing. See, we are to be signposts. Signposts of what? Love, hope, joy, peace kindness, generosity. We are the ambassadors, aren't we, of the one we say we follow. So if we're the ambassador of the kingdom, do we represent the kingdom well? <laughs> See, we have to grapple with this stuff. It's not good enough just to come and just go, yeah, hit a nice message, whatever, and life just continues. The truth is supposed to grab you very aggressively, and turn you around. And now you walk a completely different way to the way you were previously walking. Why? Because the truth has made you free. And so these people here, when they heard the word spoken, they received it as from heaven. So I'm asking you tonight, will you receive the words I'm saying as God, not Greg? And this is the challenge that I have as a communicator to be in this place. That's a pretty audacious call you're making about yourself, Simnor. Well, this is what we have to wrestle with. And this is as a communicator of the gospel, my role is to only communicate Jesus for who Jesus is. Nothing more, nothing less. If I'm communicating something that's not him, then you're all believing something possibly that's not him. And you all, we all go that way and we should have gone that way. 
So the responsibility on someone who's communicating is massive. That's why it says don't be too quick to be a teacher. So it better be living, and that's what I said last week. I will only share with you what I know to be true that I is doing his work within me because it's the only thing that I know is of him, and I'm not going to play around with this stuff. And these people, they received the word of God, which they heard. Do you understand? Realize why well, you've got to be quick to hear? Slow to speak. It's not just speaking about talking. It's a whole system of operating. It's a way of being. See, my heart is to see every one of us, whenever we gather on the edge of our seats, with an expectation, a hunger to hear because we're quick to hear. Because we know faith comes from hearing. Hearing what? Not any words, but the word of Christ. So we are positioned, tuned in, intentional, hear the frequency of heaven that is being articulated through an English language. And if we receive the word, not the words, by faith and believe and accept it, because you've got to accept it, it says. It can stay out here. And, oh, I don't know about that. That doesn't quite align with uh, what I think is to be true. Do I love this picture, eh? This picture communicates a thousand words. There's a whole lot of seagulls pointing one way, and there's one that's turned around. Wow. Who would know? That's why it speaks a thousand words. But part of this is when I saw this, and Danielle actually gave me this, and it's been sitting uh, in my heart and in my phone, and then I lost it because when I lost my phone, and my, my, when I tried to upgrade, I lost everything. And it's all tied to the great commandment. God said, this image I want you to use when you speak about the great commandment, because my reality is most people are commission-focused, but this little guy is commandment-led, and this is what we've been talking about. And part of the deception is we're called to allow the great commission to be in us, and we're doing it, aren't we? And we're going to talk about this tonight because our flesh will always reverse the order. So our flesh will always make number two, one, number one, two. Does that make sense? And in churchianity, God started to show me this whole commandment thing. I felt like that seagull. I felt like I had a message that I was being shown, but everyone else was commission-focused. And Greg's being commandment-focused, and I'm turning this way, and we're walking through this as a community. Because the reality is most communities aren't focused on the commandment because they think they've got the commandment down pat. They are commission-driven. But the commandment is the doorway to life, hence it's number one. And we looked at that last week and we said, if I'm loving God with all of my heart, then I'm not loving myself. Because they're not loving myself, I'm not living for myself. And I'm not leading myself. Let me say that again. If I am loving the Lord with all I am, all of my being, there's no room for me. Isn't that good news? You cease to exist, meaning your old life. For your life is now hidden in me. And you are found in me. And if I am in you and you are in me, 
Guess who you're no longer living for? Yourself. And who are you no longer leading? Yourself. Why do you think you're in trouble and not in the life you might be in? Possibly because you're still living for yourself and leading yourself and trying to understand him in your own ways. But your ways are not my ways and your thoughts are not my thoughts and your operating systems are not mine. And I take what you think is right and I totally spin you around and do it another way. It's funny, isn't it? I just want to read this out. This, this is my words to what Sandra said this morning. God is the giver of life, and in the giving back of our lives to him, i.e., in losing our life, we in fact find the life we have been called and chosen to live for. See, God created us, yes? Then he says, lose your life, and you'll find the true life you were created for. Lose it. Lose yourself. I've just found out who I am. The world tries to find out who it is through all its ways and never finds out who it really is. So we've been given life to then give that life back to God for God to then give it back to us. Why? So we don't define what life looks like and is. So we can then come to understand why we've really been created and what we have been called and chosen for. Because it's way more than anything that is on this earth. Even though there are works for us to establish and accomplish on the earth. And I want to look at that because I believe without a shadow of a doubt, we have confused the will of God for the works. And so what we think of works, we call the will. And we never find the will of God because we're too busy looking for what we think is the will, but it's actually the works. And we'll unpack that so that's clear. So here's two questions, and you've got some notes there to help to take away. Um, Two questions I want to ponder in relation to the main thing being the main thing. If you weren't here last Sunday, that's what we talked about, keeping the main thing the main thing. What was the main thing? Jesus and the commandment. So the main thing is Jesus himself and then his commandment, to love him. So here's the two questions. Who are we living for and whose will are we living for? Who are we living for and whose will are we living for? These are the two questions that every person needs to grapple with that exist today. It's easy to be someone who doesn't know God and just to live for yourself because you've got no other reference point. The world says live for yourself. Live. You've only got a period of time, so do as much as you can. Enjoy as much as you can. Do what you want. There are no consequences to your life, so fill your boots. But then somewhere along the line, I don't know, something happens and the Bible says that God starts to draw man to himself. And he starts to draw you from that realm into another realm called his realm where he now wants to ask questions of us for those that are his followers. And he said, hey, Greg, who now are you going to live for? Now that I've redeemed you from darkness, rescued you from darkness, the pit of hell where you were going, Who now are you going to live for? Are you still going to live for you 
in this other kingdom called the kingdom of God now, or are you going to still, are you going to live for me? See, he gives you choice. He's such a beautiful God. He says, I give you choice. You can choose to live for me or choose to live for you. My blood still covers you. He's too good. Isn't he? Because we accept that, abuse that. His grace is just incredible. But you know what? If you get a greater revealed picture of his grace, it starts to draw you into this living for him. So it has to be that powerful to actually grab us. So he starts asking these questions, who now are you going to live for? Are you going to live for your own life, build your own empire? Or are you going to come and seek first me and my heart and my will? And really, this is the greatest challenge for you and I. And the answers to those questions are going to define the life we live in now and the future because we live forever. So the life we choose to live now and our obedience to him now is storing up, I don't know if this is the right word, points for our life in the future. If we want all, we have to live in all life. And I want to encourage you with these these words and this question because there is only one true God, but there is another God on the scene called the God of self. So if I was to ask you, what is the primary focus of the gospel message, how would you answer? What is the primary message of the gospel? Not just Jesus came, the whole news. What is it? Is it about a relationship or is it about going and accomplishing things for him? What's the primary message? So it's relationship. So the primary message is about loving him with everything you are. Why, if that is the case, do many get caught up as a primary objective of trying to go reach people? If I was to ask you what your relationship with him looks like, how would you answer that? Knowing it is the most primary thing of what the gospel speaks of. If I was to say, what right now does your personal relationship with him look like? What does your time with him look like? How much time do you spend listening? Can you even hear? How much time do you spend meditating on his food? Not to figure out how I'm going to do everything but to get to know him for who he actually is. And then how much time do you spend living for him compared to living for yourself? This will give you a good indication of where your relationship with him is at. Your thought life, how much time is spent thinking about him and other people as opposed to what you're going to be doing with your life? These are big questions, aren't they? And he's asking them. He's been asking them really for 6,000 years. And he'll continue to ask them because he longs for you and I, everyone in this room and everyone in part of this community, everyone in this church to receive the fullness of what he died for. That is his heart. That's why he hangs around and is so patient with me. 
he's able to be patient and patient and patient and love and love in abounding measures, hoping that this guy Simnor is going to turn and actually start to come into the fullness of who he is and in that reality start living for him, that we would have as an individual and as a community of people the greatest relationship with the greatest person that has ever existed and ever will. And I don't have to do that. I get the opportunity to spend time with this almighty God who loves all things. And so if the main purpose of God is relationship, then what does our relationship actually look like? And how much time are we spending with him? How much of his money are we investing into his will? How much of our giftings are we spending, investing into his will? How much of my natural abilities am I spending giving into his will compared to building my own empire? And there is nothing wrong with the things that God gives us. But as I've said, if they are defining us and our identity is in them, then really we're going the wrong way. Okay, is that all right? We are a product of the seeds we sow. Think about it. The Bible says if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. What seeds are we sowing when it comes to living for him or living for ourselves? A seed produces after its own so if you're going to sow apples, you don't get oranges. So you, we all have to ask ourselves, what am I sowing in the area of relationship? If I sow relationship with Christ, I will reap relationship with Christ. Because he promises me absolute statements and truth and promises that's for me. He says, I've given you my precious promises so you're able to partake. Think about that. Partake of my divine nature. You're able to have the divine nature, my nature in you through the promises I've given you. If those promises are living and active and you're able to receive them in the spirit. And those promises, once they start to go to work in you, will just naturally turn you. And so the things that you were maybe passionate about or the things that were in your heart that you were more in relationship with, other people, money, sport, things, will naturally be let go of and you will just naturally turn and grab hold of what is important to him. That's the power of his word. See, we're trying to figure out how we change, wondering why we're not changing. It's probably because we're not receiving the word that changes us. And we're not spending the time with the one who is the word, who wants to do a deep-rooted work in us. So we give him five minutes and then go, see ya, got all these things to do, which are all our own stuff that have come from self, really. 
So we wonder why we're not in life. And yet we've just acknowledged and said that the most important aspect of the whole story is about a relationship. It's really, really, really important. And I can't stress in words how important and urgent this is. And something needs to happen in the church. Like something needs to happen. Like it's a sledgehammer sort of thing. You know, it's like, bang! Because many, I don't mean just here, I mean the church. Because many Christians are professing a reality that they're not in. And yet we're called to be in this reality. Do you know what I mean? It's like, why would you not want to be in the thing that you've been called and chosen to be in? It has to be because you just don't know it. So you don't know what you don't know. And because you don't know what you don't know, you don't have a desire for what you don't know. (laughs) Did you hear that? Because there's no reference point for something greater than what you currently have. And yet, I know for six years, there's been a reference point being communicated of an eternal life that's incredible. And I just don't know whether people have turned because have they been quick to hear something or have they judged it and gone, nah, that's not God. And as Jesus said, if you want to know of my teachings of the Lord, do it. And you'll know who's it, who is it from, didn't he? So this is the challenge that we face. Just come with me to Galatians 2 verse 20. I'm just going to read from Paul because he's such a beautiful picture outside of Christ of what not to be and what to be. And he makes these pretty profound statements all the time because he's in something. And God lets him write it down in the book because it's living and it's active and it's God's version. So it's a well-known scripture. Galatians 2 verse 20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live. See, the cross has gone to work on me. What does it say? Greeks look for wisdom. Jews look for more signs. But I preach Jesus and Jesus crucified because I know the answer lies in those words I just said. Jesus, give us another miracle and we'll believe. No, you won't. Give us more wisdom and we'll believe. No, you won't. You're avoiding going where you need to go. And we do this as well. Tomorrow, I'll do it. If you do this, Lord, I'll do it. If you give me this, I'll do it. No, no, no. It's die. (laughs) Stop farting around and get on board with Christ, Christ crucified, because you're only delaying your own transformation. You're playing. And as Mel spoke about, you're play acting, which is hypocrisy. You're a great actor, but you're fooling no one but yourself. And so he says, the cross has gone to work. I no longer live. But Christ lives where? In me. How did he get there? Through my ability to learn? Through my ability to, someone taught me this? How did he get here? I don't really know if he actually did choose him. I think God chose him. He's my chosen instrument. But 
So, yeah, you know, we have to make an active choice. But actually, how did Christ get in Paul? Through receiving the revelation. You have to receive Christ if you want more of Christ. But I already have Christ. Then if we have the full measure, which we have technically, then why aren't we in the fullness of life? Ongoing revelations of the manner, the living manner, will bring you more into the reality of Christ being formed in us. So we have the spirit, a deposit, and that needs to grow like a tree. For then we're able to then be a doer of the word and love as Christ loves. So I can't sit there and go, well, i got Jesus, but I'm not changing. Because that's good to nobody. Because if I press that button, Greg still comes out. So that's either demonic or it's fleshly because I don't recognize that in Christ. So what are the options? Jesus, Greg's flesh, or demonic? Well, I know I'm not demon-possessed. So it's either my flesh or Jesus. Does Jesus look like that? Trying to rip people's heads off. No. So it must be me. How do I overcome that? By receiving fresh manner through revelation. I've given you myself to eat. And as you eat, you change. So Paul is saying, I no longer live because Christ in me, because on Galatians, what I just read, 1.11, sorry, is I receive Christ through revelation. I was continually receiving revelation within me. When God chose to reveal the Son, Galatians 1.15, in me. That's when his life started to shift. And that's how he continued to learn, which then changed the mindset of the man. Is that, are you tracking with me? Because it's really essential we get this, like hear what's just been communicated so we don't continue leaving here trying to come in the ways that we've always come in. There's a reason why we're not in as much life as what we need to be. So we need to grapple with this stuff. So it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, so the life that I'm now living in this physical world, I live by faith in the Son of God. So he was living in faith in himself and what he thought he knew. Now the new life he's in, the new creational life that he's in, he lives now. He's no longer living for himself. I've received Christ, which is greater than me, which trumps me. So I no longer live for me. And now I live by faith in the one that's in me. That's beautiful. And faith is the absolute assurance of what I hope for and the conviction of things I can't see physically, but I see in the spirit. See, there's so much behind the words that are being communicated that we need to receive and come into. So much. The depth to what is being communicated here is so huge because he's communicating his reference point. So if we're going to come into the life, we need Paul's reference point, not just look at Paul's words and get excited by his words. The only reason he can write these words is because he's writing them from a reference point in the Holy Spirit that he's in. And then he says, hey, guys, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So we're all to be imitating Paul because Paul is a type of church. And we are to look like him, oneness in spirit. So. Are we no longer living? Greg, are you still living for you and your desires and your wants and your ways? Or 
has the cross come in, the living word, and killed you. So now you start living by faith in Jesus Christ. An absolute assurance of truth. An absolute conviction of things that no one else sees, but you see them in the spirit like angels that were happening today. After the service, person came up to me, I saw, saw this whole angelic realm. This is four visions of angelic realm in about two weeks now. Why? Because they're ministering spirits, Hebrews, that come to do a work in our hearts. They come to change us. The Holy Spirit comes to do a work of transformation. Not that we would just turn up and sing songs. That we would be calling upon the name of the one we know and love. What for? Not to have a meeting, to meet with him, that we would be changed. Jesus comes to change lives, doesn't he? Not just heal some people, change our whole lives. Why? So we can be a signpost. Who for? To bring glory to God, to see his glory come in and through the church, and to see a lost world turn from their wicked ways, because they see everything they've been looking for their whole life, like a family who are authentic and real, who are loving one another with a love that's not of the earth. And they go, can I have that love? Can you love me like that? Because I'm from a dysfunctional place. I've never experienced that, that holds no wrongs, that is not jealous, that endures all things. It's an eternal life, a life of the Spirit. It's huge, isn't it? And yet, it's simple. Isn't it? (laughs) Simplistically very deep and profound. And the only way that we can come into it is if the Spirit of God leads us. So God protects us from ourselves to protect us from this mutated life and this counterfeit life of the real thing. That's how much he loves you and I, that he protects because he knows what's in the heart of man. That's why Jesus would not entrust his heart to man, for he knew what was in all of us. So he does not entrust himself to man, but he's able to love man. So God protects us from ourselves because he knows what's in us and says, if you have the ability to truly change people, what would you do with it in your fallen state? You're already trying to build the church in your image, using your ways. What did I read this morning? Unless the Lord builds, they build in vain. Who is the church? You and I. Are we changing? Are you and I changing? Are we different people after a year? Can you give living testimony to what he's doing in you and through you. If you can't, can I ask you please to stop, turn to him and say, come on, I repent. Because we need to get in his presence and ask him to start doing a work because we have been called and chosen for a high calling. A high calling, guys, a high calling. It is not of the earth. It is not earthbound. It is a high calling seated in heavenly places, living on the earth, doing the will of God. Not the will of Greg, the will of God, which is singular, not plural, singular. 
Let's get to that. I read last week, just before that, Paul said, I'm controlled by this love. Let me just read this. The outcome of living for Jesus Christ is an indestructible life within you. Where who is in you dictates and determines the challenges and the trials we face. I'm going to read that again. The outcome, not the goal, the outcome of living for Christ, no longer living for self, is an indestructible life being built, formed, and established within us. Where who is in us dictates and determines the challenges and the trials we face. Can I just speak in fullness language? There is to be no lack in us. No lack. We are to be people of abundance. So if there's a lack, we have to take note of that and go, that's not who we're called and chosen to be. It's fine that we're in lack, but don't stay in lack. What's wrong is to stay in lack. So once we're awakened to a reality, like Sandra was trying to say, a true reality, it's then to turn and go, Father, you want me in abundance. You died that I would be in life and life abundantly. You died that I would be able to fulfill the commandment empowered by you. Not by me, for that is impossible, but by you. Can you start to see why relationship is so important? It's oneness. We He prays, he says, I pray that they would be one. Fellowship is not just hanging around having a cup of tea with the ladies here. It's oneness in spirit with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in us. I pray you have fellowship with us. Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Greg hanging out, and we're all in oneness. What do you want to say to me? How do you want me to live? Fill me with what you have. For you are perfection. You are the created being who's created me. So tell me how I'm supposed to live. Fill me through your power so that I may live for you on earth and do your will while I breathe. Not being entangled and engrossed and caught up in bondage in my own life. Wrapping your name around it. Look, we're all guilty. Put your hand up if you're not guilty. So we're all in it together, aren't we? That's the beautiful thing. No one can go, you know what, I've arrived. Look at all those heathens down there, Lord. So glad I'm outside of them. Sounds a bit like the Pharisee and the tax collector when they come in the temple to pray. I'm so glad I'm not like him. Look at that. None of us ought know as we ought to know yet. And this is this beautiful thing because it creates a posture of humility. So here's the second question. Whose will are we living for? This is where it gets a little bit hotter if it's not hot already. Can we go a bit hotter? I told you the truth will either repel you a thousand miles away or it will bring you into life, yeah? Okay, give us the vindaloo with the curry. See, I I love this thought, is that there's two L's. 
there's probably more, but there's two L's that describe Jesus, lamb and lion. And he speaks as a lamb and he speaks as a lion. And if you get them confused round the wrong way, you run from the lion when the lion speaks. You see, if a lion walked in here right now and he was my pet, and you didn't know I had a pet lion, and he walked in looking for me, you'd probably all leg it down the corridor when I'd be like, come here, boy, come here. And he'd walk up. Why? Because I know the lion. And if the lion roared, I used to live in Melrose right outside the zoo. Actually, this is a a really funny story. I'll just divert. And my young brother had moved up from Dunedin, and uh, he was flatting with me. And um, I never told him we lived near the zoo. And the cool thing about near the zoo, sometimes about two or three in the morning is the lion's roar. It's the most beautiful, horrific, spine-tingling thing you can hear when a lion, when it's pitch dark and quiet, and Africa roars in your backyard. So he was, he'd come on the Saturday morning, and he's in bed, and it's like, it's about two in the morning. And you hear this almighty, and it just echoes. He goes, what the is that? I said, oh, that's just the kitty next door. <laughs> and then some other language came out. <laughs> you see, I was comfortable with it because I knew of the lion. And what would happen if the lion turned up and he roared? Could we stand there in the presence of the beautiful lion who's roaring like we would the lamb? And would we welcome the lion like we'd welcome the lamb? Such a nice little lamb. Why it's so soft and beautiful cuddly. Lion, don't eat the lamb. Now, the Bible says that a new heaven and a new earth are going to hang out together. So here's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so we've got to get comfortable with the lion and the lamb and the lamb and the lion because they are one person. And the lion, he says this in Matthew 12 in relation to his will. And you've heard me say this, and I'm we're just going to keep speaking it different ways, but Matthew 12, 46, is the lion makes a statement. While he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. Someone said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said this, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Do you think he had memory loss right here? Is he having a moment where he's completely lost his memory? No. He's about to say something so powerful that if caught through revelation and received, it can literally change us. Who is my mother and who are my fathers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, He is my mother and sister and mother. In other passages, it also says that Jesus comes to divide families. He comes to divide. A a mother and a daughter. A father and a son. 
We get the in-law bit. <laughs> yeah, do that. That's cool. Hold on. I thought you were into family. Yeah, I am. I am. I created it from my perspective. So he's saying, Mary, you're not my mum. Was Mary his physical mother? So what's he saying? He's saying, those that do my will are my family. Those who no longer live for themselves, building their own empires, but actually let go because the cross is doing its work and choose to live for me, they're my family. Those that are doing my will are my spiritual family because spiritual family are led by the Spirit of God, not their flesh. See, we've got to be so careful that we don't allow his grace to set us in apathy. We're all good. Blood covered me. Yeah, but the blood and unconditional love when it comes to reward don't stack up. It's conditional on your obedience once you're in. So his grace is all there. Please hear me. His grace and his love is all there, and that remains there. But if we want the fullness of life, it's conditional on our obedience. There is a blessing for obedience. There is a curse. If you don't do what I say, here are the consequences. If you do what I say, here are the consequences. We can't have it both ways, guys. We can't do what we want and then go, hey, cool, I'm going to be the whole thing. No. And this is the lion speaking. It's clearly mapped out. Otherwise, there is absolutely no need for a judgment seat for the church, is there? Have you stopped and ever asked yourself, what is the point of the judgment seat for the church if there's not a judgment to be had? If everyone gets the same thing, what is the point of the judgment seat? There is none. Ten, five, and one, if the guy that did nothing with his one and that was okay. Why is that in his word? It's to awaken us up out of, oh, well, the blood of the Lord just covers me and I do whatever I want. To no, 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 no. Jesus saved us for a purpose, his will. And he has called us and said, are you living life worthy of the calling that I've called you into? So you even need to know what that is to lay your life down for it, don't you? You can't run the race if you don't know the track. So here we see Jesus saying, hey, guys, this is physical. Lillian and Alan Simnor were physical people who were my mum and dad here on earth, started out as non-Christians, got saved, and then entered into their own relationship with him. And yes, she was my fa- my mother and my fa- and the physical, but this is talking spiritual. And the spiritual is of another order of Melchizedek. It has no genealogy. It has no fleshly thing. It's of the spirit, indestructible life of the spirit. And so he's saying, these guys that are doing my will, they're my family. My hope is that these people will do the will like these people, and be my family. So please hear, I'm not saying I'm leaving Danielle and the kids. 
My role as a father is to lead them into the reality that's in me. We are all to be his spiritual family, but spiritual family do the will of God, not the will of themselves. Is that clear? Okay. So, um, a main problem, this is my personal opinion, a main problem with teaching we have heard and believe is that God has this individual will for you and I, and all our individual wills are completely separate from one another. Have you heard that? Okay. Have you found your will yet? We say this, say, oh, yeah. Do you know how many times I've been asked, what is the will of God for my life? The Bible tells you. But because we don't have eyes to see and ears to hear, we miss it. So we keep asking for the same thing, wondering why we're not receiving it. Because it's right in front of us, but we don't have the right glasses on. And then you get churches that preach this rubbish. And they tell you, you should have at least by 30 dreams that you want to write down. And God's going to fulfill all your dreams. But how many people know that God has a dream? Does it start with you or I? Did you decide to be born? Did you decide who your parents would be? So why are we so consumed with ourselves? And why are we so consumed with our dreams and our wills and all that when he has a dream? He wrote it the end from the beginning. I've just torn it. He knows the end from the beginning. It is already finished. He has his will. Jesus said, I come to do the will of my father. He didn't say, what is the will for my life? Come with me to John 5 verse 30. The church has confused the will or the purpose of God, which is singular, with the works of God, which are many. I'm going to say that again. The church has confused the will or the purpose of God, God's will, God's purpose, which is singular, with the works of God, which are many. So we all have this, God's will for us is the same. Does that upset anybody? His works for you and I will be different. Otherwise, as I said, we're all looking for this individual thing. Is it under here? Have you got it? Where's my thing? See, keep this in your thinking because when I open these scriptures, you're going to laugh. Because it says this, do not conform to the patterns of this world. What are the patterns of the world? The way you think. Do not conform to the world's operating system of the flesh, which you're all born with. The Spirit comes to renew your whole mind. So don't conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind. Why? Why? So you will be able to prove... What the good, pleasing, perfect will of God is. That means I need to know if there's individual wills, every one of your wills. Hear what I'm saying? Too much work. 
if there are all these individual wills that my mind needs to be renewed by the Holy Spirit so I know what you're supposed to be doing, 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 you're supposed to be doing. Man, what a mission. I'm still trying to figure out what the will of God is. Never mind everyone else's wills. But this is what we preach. This is what we teach. It's rubbish. And we confuse the will of God for Greg, you're going to run in this lane. And Danny, you're going to run in this lane. And you're going to run in this lane, but you're all running towards the same will. You know what you get if you have individual wills? Individualism. Individual people living for themselves and no family being established of the spirit. Why? I haven't got time to commit to the family. I haven't got time to lay my life down. I'm too busy finding my thing. I'm living for me, Jack. Oh, no, Paul said I no longer live. But I live for the one that actually controls my life through love, which is Jesus Christ. It's so beautifully done to protect us from us, and yet we make a mockery of it because we're not in him. And so with our own thinking, we've created our own teaching called the traditions of men. The Jewish people had it called the Talmud. And yet we care more for our traditions than we do the commandments. Boom. That's good. Thank you, Lord. That's not on there. You can have a look. John 5.30, what did Jesus say? I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, be quick to hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. There's so much in these words. I do nothing on my own initiative. The only thing he did was what the Father initiated. As I hear, can we hear? Can you hear what I'm saying? I'm not talking about words. Can you hear the posture of the word of what I'm communicating? Come with me to John 6, 38. Once again, these are the words of the lion. John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's massive. Sent. I'm sent to do the will of my Father. When you and I get redeemed, reconciled, we are now then sent to do the will of the Father. This is so serious, and it's going to affect our lives on earth and our future. Come with me to Hebrews 10. 35. Hebrews 10, 35 to 36. Therefore, Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, not your own thing. I reckon a lot of Christians, because of the teaching we've had, are never going to get to this point. Because they're going to live their whole life looking for something that doesn't actually exist. 
Hence, we don't have confidence. See, when you know the will of God and you're actively doing the will of God and being prepared for the will of God, you have confidence in God. You have an assurance. Why? Because you're receiving conviction, living manner, which builds you up. No longer in lack, in strength, strength of the spirit. Why? Because you know that you know that you know that you know because the truth makes you free. It's all absolutes. There's no room for half pies. The truth will make you free. The truth will set you free. The truth will build you so much that when stuff comes, momentary light affliction. This is the power, guys, of the word. This is not something that we just glibly study. It will change you. He goes on and says, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. So what has he promised us? Well, there's this thing called this marriage. There's this thing called reigning with Christ. There's the promise of just knowing my love. It is so deep and so wide and so high, it will completely and utterly set you free. There's this thing by knowing hope and peace, being free to live. Really? Man. Because life is more than food and the body more than clothing, isn't it? Do we know this life? See, this is why this is called banquet. Because it's about a feast. And it's about truly articulating to the measure of what we know him. So every one of us has an opportunity to hear something of him that if we choose to and want to seek out, we can come into. I've done Romans 12 too. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind, so then you will be able to prove, prove what the will of God is. The good, pleasing, and perfect will. What do witnesses do? For we are called to be witnesses, yes? What do they do? They give an account of what they've seen and know. See, it's all linked. You're called to be my witnesses. Where? To the whole earth of what you have seen and know. Faith is the absolute assurance of what we hope for and the conviction of things we haven't seen. So we're to be witnesses of things of the Spirit because we're doing the will of God, which is bringing us into more of Him. And I'm living for the will, no longer living for myself, which means I'm proving what it is. Okay, let's go to Romans 8. Let the scriptures just speak for themselves because they're all here. Romans 8, 28. Our victory in Christ. <laughs> and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who what? 
love God. Do you know what it says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, 10, 11, and 12? It says, no ear has heard, no eye has seen, not has yet entered the heart of man, all that God has in store for those who. Do you think there's something about the commandment? See, when you love him with all your heart, you're found at his feet. When you love him half-heartedly, you're not. And when you're found at his feet, he wants to share his innermost secrets with you. The things that are hidden to others and concealed to others are revealed in you. Why? Because he's looking for someone who loves him. He's looking to share his heart with someone who actually, truly loves him. Not for what they they can get out of him, not for what he can do for them, but for someone who loves him for him. And he looks for those people to share his innermost secrets, his will, his heart. Do you know what I've created? Are you interested? See, the challenge is this. If I treated him, let's if I can get this around the right way. I'm going to read this out so I don't butcher this. If Jesus treated us as we treat him, would we stay in the relationship? Aren't you grateful he loves at a measure that's beyond our behavior? But there's a reason for that. There's a reason why he loves you like that. One, because it's who he is. But two, to captivate you so you will no longer want to live for you and would want to discover what his heart is and what his will is. So then you and I can get on board with doing the will of the Father. Living for the will of the Father, which is an eternal purpose. Here's the will of the Father. Actually, we're going to, Come with me to 1 Thessalonians. Oh, I'll finish reading this. Sorry. Love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Can you hear the singular? His purpose. Let me read it again. And we know that God causes all things to walk together for good. All things? What about the death of a loved one? Is he going to work that for all things for the good? He's not saying he, he, this, is, this is good, but will he work things, all things for good to those who love him? Because everything we go through here is preparing us for the will of the Father. Everything he allows is shaping you and I for an eternal purpose. It's going to mature us. Everybody wants a zap. There's no maturity in the zap. God may zap you once, twice in your life if you're lucky, but he wants to see you and him work together and work through so maturity is formed in you. So when you get to the end of your life at your judgment, he can say, well done, faithful, good, and servant. Here's your reward. An eternal reward. Now we're coming back because you're my bride. And because you are my bride, you love like me. And because you are of the spirit of sonship, you look like the son. So the bride loves like the groom loves, don't they? Hence, it keeps coming back to the commandment. So he says this, love God to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many 
Jesus, and these whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What for? For his purpose. Not my individual plan and purpose for my life, his purpose. He has chosen me before the foundation of the earth to live for him. That is great news. Woohoo! Man, this thing lasts forever. But do I know it? If I don't know it, I'm not living for it. I'll live for who is most important. Now, 1 Thessalonians 4, last scripture, I promise you. That's why I'm giving you the notes. Meditate, go away and eat them. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 to 8. This is so cool. Sanctification and love is my title. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as how you ought to walk, get stopped there, that you excel still more. For you know what commandment we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Just a little sidetrack. These are the same guys again that heard the word in the gospel in words, power, Holy Spirit, full conviction, and drop their idols. These are the same guys I just read from that hear the word and the word receives it, does its work within them. Yep. So there's something happening in these people. For this is the will of God. It's even written down. Your sanctification. You know how long I have to look. The Bible's telling you. For this is your will. Sanctification. That is, you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all things. But just as we also told you before and solemnly warn you, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. That is God's will for us. Why? Who can tell me what sanctification actually is? Yell it out. And how does that happen, T? So is that the start? It's being set free from a power of something that binds you and holds you in a reality. change us yeah so we start by being set free the cross comes to do a work not just to save you from your sinful nature to break the power of sin off your life the power that sin holds okay that's john the baptist message which is awesome and cool and it's an ongoing thing at the same time but then it's to grow and mature 
transform us into the likeness of Christ, which is the promise of Romans 8, 28 to 29. Coming into the fullness of God. So God's spirit and truth go to work on us to bring us into the literal image of Jesus Christ. Not many gods. Preparing us for what? A wedding. Yes. He's going to marry his bride that looks like him. Can you see why relationship is critical? If we are not sitting at his feet, we are not letting him go to work on us. We will, in fact, be running away from us, which means we are not being made ready for the very thing we were invited to. Sanctification. He has justified us. My blood justifies you. I will glorify you at the end of time and give you your new bodies. But what I will not do, you sorry, what I will not just give you is your sanctification process. So I have sanctified you in my blood, which qualifies you and enables you to get on this process and take my truth and my spirit with me in partnership, and I'm going to do a deep work within you. So you become spotless and blameless and holy, which you already are. So you're holy and becoming holy. Why? It's all by the grace of God. You can't do this yourself, but what you have to say is, Lord, I'm entering into it. You can actually stand on the outside and not be changed and just go, this is all cool, justified, but I'm not entering into sanctification. Why? Because I've got to let go. And it's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me, and I'm living for a different reality now. And faith is required, and it must be administered. Otherwise, unbelief sets in, and you go nowhere. And what you're doing is you're not walking in your bridal preparation. You're not being made ready. The whole point of life is to be made ready for the marriage. It's beautiful that it starts and ends in relationship. The will of God that you have been invited to marry the groom. The groom lives for his father, yes? The groom does the will of his father, yes? Do you think the bride will live for the father and do the will of the father? Do you think he's going to marry a harlot? He's going to marry a spotless and blameless people. It's what he's been looking for in 6,000 years. And we've limited it down to this. Let's receive our salvation. Let's go reach some other people to get saved. And that's it. That is in the mix. But it is not the main purpose of the Father. The main purpose of the Father is to be in relationship. Because when you're loving him with all your heart, because you've entered into sanctification, you are no longer loving and living for you, which means you are no longer leading your life. You have given over your life because your life is hidden in Christ and you are found in Christ, which means you're abiding in Christ. He abides in you. But I wonder how many of the church actually abides in Christ. So the life of Christ is being produced and formed. Where we are then able to fulfill the commandment because of our abiding. I hope you can capture what I just said because I won't be able to repeat that. But it will be taken. 
And all of that is preparing you, as Revelation 19, 7 to 9 says, that the bride has made herself ready through the spiritual acts of the saints, which is the spiritual works, which is hearing the word, allowing the word to go to life within you so you're able to be a doer of the word, meaning I'm able to do love. I hate using the word do, but it's a doer of the word. It means if I am receiving the living word, I'm able to love like the love that's in Jesus. I'm now a doer of that word. Love is just one. I'm able to live by faith in Christ. I'm able to see things, experience things, know things that are for now in the future. Abraham welcomed the promises from afar. Why? Because he saw them and welcomed them into his real reality when he lived in him. For he said he was looking for a city. What is the city? It's her. It's her. He saw the bride before, you know, how long did he live? 4,000 years ago? He saw her. Isaiah saw Christ. Hebrews talks about a whole lot of people cheering us on. Who do you think they are? And what are they cheering us on for? They're not saying, go guys, live for yourself. Because we all did. No, these are the great people of faith who laid down their lives and said, come on, until you guys come in, we can't receive the fullness of the reward. So come on, get your act together because you're holding up our reward. <laughs> Getting frustrated up there. That's where we finish. So the will of God is to marry him, to reign with him, to let the kingdom of God be formed and established in your heart, which comes through the great commandment as you choose to let go of you and love him with all your heart as he comes to do a powerful work of sanctification because you can't change you and I can't change me. But as I let go and enter through the door, which is Jesus, to love God with all my heart, he promises me life and life abundantly through the power of the Holy Spirit will come and do that work where you will find your idols coming out of your heart that we may currently have in our hearts. People, kids, marriages, our identity, all these things. And we'll be able to live like Paul. Imitate me as I imitate Jesus. If you're going to imitate Paul, you have to have Paul's poses. You understand that? How did Paul change? Through receiving and continue receiving living manner through revelation. Not through his ability to try and comprehend here that got him in trouble. But by receiving it in the spirit, which then renews the mind, which now I'm able to live it out. It's perfect. For you are a good, good father and his ways are perfect. So if he says, church, I came to set you free, and those that are in me, you will be free. This life is for us. No excuses. People who have excuses miss out on what God has for them. That's in there. The invite went out. I bought a tractor. I bought a tractor. The field needs plowing. I just got married. Can I have a year off? 
Poco. Some good cars. <laughs> no, you can't. Nothing wrong with being married. We looked at that last week, didn't we? But are we, has marriage caused us to be divided? Not distracted 100%, so not, you know, devoted to him? Excuses will keep us out of what he has for us. And we need to stop making excuses. The past, the this, the that, that person, that church, this happened to me. Yep, he understands it, sees it all. He says, what do you want to do about it? I just want to moan and bitch about it. Well, play that game. You'll be there your whole life. I died to bring you into this fullness of life. And I just say, the invite's sitting right there. This is what he's doing here, guys. This is what he's building. This is how serious this is. And the invitation is for all. Everyone has a place. Everyone has a position. 